Hello and welcome again to Fat Free Film. I'm Joel Marshall. And I'm Kamala Lopez Dawson. And we are here again today in Hollywood. And the first thing I want to do on the show is send a shout out, a shout back to uh, Mike Smith at Indie Film Nation. It's a podcast there in Australia, and he does a really great job covering the indie film scene there and also here. We've had some of the, some similar guests. Um, we interviewed Stacy Parks um, about her book, and so did he. And then also we interviewed um, Beth Barrett of the Seattle Film Festival, and he interviewed her too. So we have a little bit of crossover there. We're probably going to be doing some um, other crossover events with him. So today, however... We have a get, our guest today is Eddie Ponce Dominic, who is a music editor here in Hollywood. And um, Eddie and I went to college together. Eddie started out as an actor, and he was always very interested in music. And he started uh, writing and composing music in New York, and then uh, eventually made his way out to Los Angeles. Now he is presently music editing for a show called The Unit. Uh, that David Mamet is one of the exec producers on. He did uh, Aquila and the Bee, which was um, a feature film, and also was uh, the music editor on Invasion, which was a show that I loved that is now off the air. So please welcome Eddie. Thank you. Nice to see you guys. Thanks for being here. So Eddie, tell us a little bit about... um, the history of how you came to own your own music editing company? Well, I actually started out uh, in New York, like you said, with the acting world and decided that eating a slice of pizza every three days wasn't going to work. So I moved out to L.A. Uh, I started working at a post-production house that had just opened called Encore Video, which is now very famous, uh, working for the president there. And I learned a lot about post-production. And then I ended up doing a lot of different jobs, a lot of odd jobs for about eight years, assisting actors and being personal assistant to actors, uh, including Christopher Walken and Judd Hirsch. And what was that like? It was very uh, educational. It was actually amazing. These guys are both extremely intelligent and very talented, and I learned a lot about how uh, TV is made and also films, because I've worked in both. And uh, all along, I was always doing music on the side. My brother and I came out here. He's also a re-recording mixer out here, and we wrote music together and uh, commercials and things like that. Eventually, uh, I decided I wanted to get more serious about the music, and I actually went back to the University of Miami. And I got my master's degree in uh, media writing and production. Two years later, my only uh, criteria was to find something that was music-related in the business, and I came out here, and I got lucky, and I apprenticed with a guy named Carl Zittrer, who's a really good music editor, and that's kind of how I came to be a music editor. What is music editing? The music editor is basically someone who manages uh, and keeps track of all the music that's going to be in the show, makes sure it ends up in the proper order, uh, that the quality is high, um, and kind of is a liaison between the composer and the producer and the director. And so when you edit 
um, for, say, a television show, what kind of um, software do you use? Uh, most music editors use DigiDesign's Pro Tools. Mm -hmm. It's pretty much the norm. There are other systems that are very good, Nuendo. Um, some people even cut in some of the music sequencer programs that are very sophisticated now, Digital Performer and Logic or things like that. But for the most part, Pro Tools is the standard. And uh, when you're working on, say, Invasion, do you, are you at the end of the production line when it comes to um, editing? Uh, does, is, is there a picture edit first and then it comes to you? How, what's the very much so, although during the picture edit, sometimes they'll, you know, uh, talk to the music editor about how we might implement songs or, you know, uh, create temp music. Although for television, film and television are kind of different in that sense. In film, there's a very long process that involves a lot of temping, which means creating this temporary score. Um, in TV, the picture editors tend to do that because there's not a lot of time. They throw in whatever they can. Sometimes they uh, call the music editor and or they use cues that have been used in previous episodes to kind of get a sense of what it's going to be like. Um, now, do you, you're also a composer, right? I am. Okay, so do you often compose things for um, television shows and for films? I find that because of my music editing business and that it kind of took off, uh -huh. that I'm spending more time doing that. But I do occasionally have uh, uh, the chance to write background music, source music, things like that, and occasionally extra cues for, for the shows. And did you start out as a musician? Um, did you... Uh, study piano or study I did actually piano? I started off when I was five years old Wow! I started playing the piano and I was actually kind of obsessive about it I used to practice six hours a day They thought I was going to be a concert pianist. My parents uh, were going to send me to Juilliard when I was around 12, and uh, I decided I wanted to go to a boarding school instead, so <laughs> I worked my way towards that. And when, you, when we were at college together, what, you, did you major in theater studies as well? Yes, I did. And what was the other, did you, you had a, another major because we all had to have two in case they kicked us out. <laughs> well, the theater studies major was actually one of the most intense majors there. I mean, you had to carry a lot of credits and electives. Uh, music was my minor, but okay. for the most part, I concentrated on the theater. Eddie and I were in Greece together. <laughs> it was a lot of fun, actually. <laughs> and the guy who uh, choreographed that production is now at MIT. He's the head of the dance department, Tom DeFrance. Really? Does MIT need a dance department? Well, it's interesting you should mention that. MIT has a really good theater program, actually. Really? Yeah. How bizarre. I had no run, idea. Run by an Alan Brody, who's a father of a friend of mine. Wow. MIT is the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, known for their technology and... Uh, uh, known for their scientists their and scientists, brainiacs. Yeah, brainiacs. It's strange <clears throat> that they have a good theater department, but, you know, stranger things have happened. Um, so, you started, did you start with editing sound particularly, or did you ever edit film? 
Uh, that's a good question. I I edited film when I was a kid, eight millimeter, yeah. Super Eight. Uh, and actually, one of my earliest memories of doing what I do was when I was around eleven. I used to make these little eight, Super Eight films when I went to you know, on vacation, and I would put music to them. So I remember the first thing I ever music edited was a. A film of going to Madrid uh, with my nieces, and I set it to Magical Mystery Tour by the Beatles, and I just thought that was the neatest thing that you could. You know, it had an, like an emotional effect on you, and it brought back that feeling that you had when you were at the place. So I find as uh, a f- when I edit film that, or when I edit digitally, that sound is the most difficult thing. Sound is probably the most difficult thing on set, and then also in post production. Um, what kind of tips do you have? First of all, I want to ask about when you're scoring uh, a film or a television program, um, do you put music throughout? How do you handle um, not overwhelming the dialogue? Um, Selecting where the music goes is one of the main things that the music editor can do, along with the music supervisor. And uh, it depends how much influence uh, that particular ha- people, th- those people have. But uh, sitting down with the director and the producer and um, the composer, and deciding where that music goes, they call it a spotting session. Um, before that, you've done a lot of temp work, especially in features, so you kind of already know where the music's going to go and what it's going to do. Mm-hmm. It, it's almost like casting in the sense that uh, the music's like a character, and you have to decide how that character fits in with Do you the choose overall. the music or does someone else choose the music? What are the different roles that yeah. are what's are the taken? distinction between well, the supervisor or the editor? I think the music editor has to be more of a diplomat. Uh, I try to keep my mouth shut as much as possible, <laughs> but I like to express my opinion and I think the music supervisor should kind of guide what the nature of the music is. But often the music editor has great input because he's choosing stuff for the temp and uh, kinda has his hands on the material a lot. So does the director sit in on these things? Absolutely. Some of them more than others. Some of them want, you know, advice. Others don't want advice at all. Uh, the one thing you do find in this business is that everybody is an expert at music. So, because everybody has an opinion about, you know, they have strong feelings. It's a subjective thing. Uh, so you kind of have to ride with that. Project to project, it's different, you know. Uh, some directors want to have a lot of say about the music. think about the um, way the use of sound is evolving in film from you know early on to now do you think it's uh, it's becoming better well, it's become huge uh, much better yeah. yeah it's become a huge part of the film um, and the psychoacoustic effect it has on you mm-hmm. uh, and it's something that I'm always telling people it's like you may not be able to hear the difference in the quality but you can feel it um, because of the so sound the technology has gotten really sophisticated Mm-hmm. Uh, and it kind of democratizes the process too, because now you can get higher quality um, without having to spend, you know, fifty thousand dollars for a rig. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'll go to a film, and it will bother me that the music is manipulative of the experience that I'm having. Hmm. What are your thoughts on that? Do you ever have that experience, or do you have that consideration when you um, edit? music into a film? Absolutely. And I think the composer, you know, has to have a sensitivity to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the music should add to the film rather than, uh, you know, kind of overwhelm it. Yeah. Um, do you ever do recording sessions where you have like an orchestra? 
Absolutely. And how does that work? Because I, I, we see, um, we've seen this in, in video and things like that where you, we have an orchestra and you have a screen up there. How, would, how do you go about recording that kind of music so have, that goes with the movie? We actually did that every week for Invasion, which was an really? amazing oh experience. We had 30, about 35 musicians. And the composer and his assistants and, uh, uh, and me would get together, and uh, after the spotting session, they would decide how much music they were going to write. And, uh, and then they would quickly orchestrate it or have someone help orchestrate it. Uh, you print out all the parts, you go to the stage, and you know you take whatever best take you can get, but you don't have a lot of time, especially on TV. How much time does somebody have to, to orchestrate for, something? For the like TV that? show, we only had three hours each three hours. week to uh, create about 15 to 16 minutes of music. Mm-hmm. And then there was an extra five or six minutes of music that would just come from a previous show or be created from that music. So. Now, um, we had another uh, guest on the show named John Plenge, who's a New York composer, and we started talking about this this process, and I, I never quite got clear on it. Like you said, um, they print out the music. Mm-hmm. What do you use a specific program to compose on, and then print out the yeah, music? Technologically, it's very uh, things are shifting a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, the music editor's role specifically uh, in feature films, um, the music is written up to the last minute. Of course, it is in TV as well. But uh, people prepare the music, and you go to the stage and. Uh, you record as much music as you can. Um, technologically, I guess I'm not exactly sure what the question is. Uh, well, like, what <laughs> kind of program do you use to compose on? Do people use to compose? People use sequencers. They're called sequencers, okay. um, and they're these audio programs that use MIDI, musical mm-hmm. instrument digital interface, so that you can input the the music into the computer. And then uh, there's programs like Finale, Sibelius, which allow you to manipulate the actual score page. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, with all the different staves for all the different instruments, and uh, then those parts are individually printed out for the musicians. Uh, in features, the music editor also helps create the click track, which is uh, keeping track of all the tempos, uh, the timings, you know, how how uh, quickly the beat's going. And does that have? How do they decide how quickly the beat is going in a particular section of a movie? Is it just a feel for that? Yeah, or? it has to do with the whatever mood you're trying to create. Um, and it's going to vary a lot, you know, especially if the picture changes. I mean, you find that you're going to have to speed up certain sections and slow down certain sections based on that as well. It's kind of like you're the DJ for the movie. It's kind of, yeah, very much so. That's wild. I had no idea that there was such a thing as a click track. There's actually a lot of technological things involved in the making of music for film that you wouldn't think were there, but it's pretty complex. Can you tell us some of those? Like, let, let, take us through a step-by-step on, let's say I have a feature film and I want um, to get music for it. Well, you meet with the composer. Uh, you have the spotting session. Decide where the music's going to go. The composer writes the music. Sometimes he prelays tracks that uh, you're going to add to later. That happens a lot now. Um, it's pre-recorded, and you bring that to the scoring stage. And then there's a conductor, uh, and he follows whatever the click track is that the composer and the music editor have put together. Um, and you re- you record the music. People who have great careers 
in being studio musicians for this type of thing. Yeah, fantastic. And there's a lot of there's there's I think there's pretty good money to be made being one of these studio musicians. Sometimes people when they're <coughs> young, they you know, look at a career at, you know, playing the violin or or playing the cello as something that, you know, might be difficult down the line to make a living at, but in Hollywood and New York and lots of other places in the world, um, you can make a pretty good living being a studio mu- musician. That's very true. It's a, a very specific skill, and there aren't a lot of them. Uh, mm-hmm. The ones Los Angeles is the best in the world. I mean, you, you you can't imagine that you can walk in and you can hand them music, and you're listening to something that sounds like a symphony immediately. Like they're sight reading symphonic music, and, and they're brilliant. Are amazing, they're brilliant. apparently. And then there's a very strong union, I think, that goes along with this. I don't know what the union is. Yeah, here exactly. it's Local 47, and I can't remember in Canada. but So um, are you interested in doing um, smaller feature films? Yeah, I'm trying to you know, break into slightly larger mm-hmm. work uh, as I get older, and I've done a lot of television, a, a lot of small films, so I'm trying to build up a little bit, do some more. And what are your aspirations for the future? Uh, I'd like to continue what I'm doing. I actually enjoy it very much, um, but I could also see getting into producing, uh, perhaps a little writing of words. Uh, and I have a, a documentary that I'm working on uh, that has to do with my family, which I'm hoping to... It, it's kind of a labor of love, so it might take a while. So I'm just kind of letting that take its pace. And Can you tell us a little about Aquila and the Bee and how that project came to you and what that experience was like? Yeah, I got a call actually from a fellow music editor of mine, uh, and he wasn't going to be able to work on it full-time, so um, he had me meet with the director, and I met with them, and I gave them my ideas about the direction that I thought the music should take in that particular film, and uh, and they hired me, so we started meeting, and it was a very intensive process. We temped for uh, two or three different audiences. Uh, I think I created the first temp score in eight days or something like that. Uh, it was a significant amount of music. It was about 40 minutes or 50 minutes of music in, in the first temp. Um, and then we kept on refining that, and they really liked the music a, a lot. I ended up uh, writing a little bit for the temp just because I couldn't find material that worked perfectly, and um, they liked some of that. Um, and then uh, politics kind of got involved, and an, another music editor got involved who's uh, very talented and came in and uh, finished up the film. So. And then it, and now it's at Starbucks. <laughs> it was like when did they Starbucks involved? got involved almost in the last you know weeks before the movie was going to be released, and um, they helped finish the film. I think I'm not exactly sure of the no, what was they, involved financially. But. They're very involved with the music industry, from what I can understand. Yeah. Um, how much? How heavy was their involvement in the music score of the the film? Oh, I don't think they were involved in any other way other than. Uh, Promotion. I mean, that was really a marketing thing. Um, they put the name of the movie on every sleeve, yeah, of every coffee everywhere. cup, and I don't know. If, I think they did that worldwide, mm-hmm. um, putting definitions of the words. And it was a terrific movie to work on. The director is very, very talented. A guy named Doug Atchison, and he's going to, uh, I'm sure, do incredible things in the future. So, I, and tell us about your production company. What is it called? Ed Pons Music Inc. It's just a shortened version because my full name is Eduardo Hector Pons Domenic, and right. people don't want to say that. So <laughs> I've spent, uh, I've told people I've spent like two or three years of my life spelling my name, and that's probably not an exaggeration. So. Eduardo Pons Domenic. Yeah. I want to say it. <laughs> <laughs> Eduardo Pons Domenic. Thank you. That's great. Um, do you have a, an office, or how does it work? Do you have like a I actually studio? have a studio. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I have, you know, depending on what I'm working on, if I'm, you know, obviously I'm doing one TV show, I'm not going to have a staff, but mm-hmm. if I'm working on a feature, you have to have a couple of guys working for you and uh, constantly, you know, 24 hours a day, you're kind of pumping out temp music and organizing things. There's a lot of, you know, technical work involved and a lot of administrative work involved. Uh, the music editor also at the end of the movie kind of collects all the publishing information from the music supervisor, uh, creates final cue sheets, which they submit to the performing rights organizations so that people can get their residuals and all that stuff. So. Oh. Explain that a little more in depth. So you, you go through the whole film and you write down exactly what piece of music was used for how long, what recording. Who the writer is, who the publisher is, so that you know everybody gets paid fairly. Wow. And what the, what the usage was in the movie, background instrumental, a visual vocal, in other words, something that you actually see somebody singing on camera. Oh, there's a distinction in the residuals? Yes. And payment structures are different depending on the different performing rights organizations. What are performing rights organizations? They are uh, organizations that keep track of the writing and publishing information and make sure that everyone gets paid their royalties. Is that like ASCAP? ASCAP, BMI, CSAC, uh, and there's quite a few so others. So are performers, musical performers, are they members of all of these, or just do they choose one, or how does it work? Um, usually they choose one. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes they kind of get dragged into it because somebody else working on the thing they're working on is in that organization, and it just makes more sense to do it that way. Um, but yeah, for the most part, you choose which organization you want to be in. So it's different from, uh, say, being an actor where you, well, I guess you have two organizations that you, three, um, Screen Actors Guild that, that is for a particular type of, of for movies and, and some television shows, and then AFTRA, which is for you know re- radio and for some other television shows, depending on what it's shot on, and then um, well, you have Actors Equity, which is for stage, but those are for particular areas. I and don't those choose. Are, which those are one guilds that are def- you know about making sure there's fair labor practices that people get paid fairly. But mm-hmm. I, I don't know about in terms of royalties. Do the, do actors actually have an organization that keeps track of? It's that? the same union the same that union. Okay. tracks the residuals. Yeah, in our case, it's not. Uh, all the, oh, they're uh, two separate things. Yeah, there's the the locals that take care of how people get paid uh, for the service up front, okay. and then there, the performing rights organization takes care of the back end. And you pay dues to both of these organizations? Uh, no, you don't pay dues to uh, the performing rights organizations. What, how do they support themselves? I believe they get paid by the publishers, but I'm not exactly sure. That's actually a great question. I'd, I'd love to look that up now. <laughs> are there, uh, with Screen Actors Guild, there are certain things that you have to accomplish to get into the guild. And same with the Director's Guild. It's very um, difficult to get in the Director's Guild. Yeah, it's very difficult something? to get into the Motion Picture Editors Guild as well, mm-hmm. uh, which now involves uh, picture editors, sound editors, and uh, mixers, and mm-hmm. I believe story analysts, which I don't really understand how that fits in. But We'll have to get a story analyst because on the show. Yeah. You know why, why I think, <laughs> I, I mean, just off really? the top of my head, because of reality television. Because the story... Well, I mean, Certainly, yeah, yeah. That would be an editor, because reality TV is, is created by the editors. Well, now they're saying that they should be in the Writers Guild, because yes. they're actually you know, they're helping writing. create the script. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree. I mean, they should certainly be covered by somebody, by somebody somehow. Yeah. Absolutely. about your um, studio. Do you have 
Uh, is it an office location somewhere? Is it in your house? Is it you know where is it located? It's in. The, I actually have a guest house in the back of my my little Spanish house. Oh, great. I was lucky enough that it, it fits all the gear. And then what do you do for your about your neighbors? Do you soundproof it or how do you work? Yeah, I know around fair. here we always get like lawn equipment. And it's things. fairly well soundproof, but I don't record anything there. If I'm going to record something, I go to a, a studio. It's good enough for, for the listening part of it. Great. What about um, when, when uh, songs are licensed? How, who, who takes care of that? Let's say there's a piece of music that already exists that may be well-known that you want to put into the unit. What? The music supervisor will make those phone calls to the record companies and the publishers and the writers uh, and make the deal for the, on behalf of the producer. And sometimes the producer will do it himself. Do you ever handle anything that has to do with sound effects or um, Foley or anything like that? Only in how it relates to the music. So if you have a very effects-laden, you know, like Invasion, there were a lot of booms and uh, explosions and strange sounds and alien sounds uh, that the effects department, this company called Anifex, um, would create. And so we'd have to kind of keep that in mind when we're creating the music, not to over, be overbearing mm -hmm. and uh, obliterate any of those sound effects and vice versa. So. Have you ever worked on a horror film? Yeah, I have actually. Uh, I even worked like on a TV show that Wes Craven did called Holly Weird. It was a pilot actually, um, produced by Sean Cassidy, and it was uh, pretty horrific. I mean, horrifying. <laughs> it was it was a good show. It was so, very frightening. But the music, I, I would I think, as far as horror films go, it really adds to the suspense and really is a big part of it's a huge the part drama of it. Well, in Invasion, I felt that the music was as well. Yeah, John Ehrlich was the composer with that, with Jason Derlaka. They both uh, co-composed the show, and uh, they did a great job of scaring, scaring the, the pants Jesus off of you. Yeah. I just, I was so sad when that show went off the air. So was I. It was so much fun. The musicians were fantastic, and the orchestrator, and the conductor, and you know everybody involved in the musical process was terrific, and also in the in the production end of it. What show are you working on now? I just started working on the unit. I'm taking over uh, the second season. They did 13 episodes, and uh, the guy who was music editing, I think, wanted to, had to move on to a feature. So, what's the season like? How long is your your year if you work on a, a show? Um, in TV, you're involved. Well, it's becoming a year-round thing now. It is essentially like a nine-month process from August until I don't know. Don't make me count now. <laughs> <laughs> Nine months later. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> until the baby's born. Um, and then there's a little lull. That's in the TV season, but usually in the lull, you try to pick up feature work. So, Or you do features and you try to pick up TV in your lull, <laughs> whatever that is. Wow. Don't you think that in a way um, the, the film and television industries are really starting to converge? Very much, and I think the quality of the work you know, in TV has become pretty astounding. I mean, not all the time, obviously. Some of it's crap, but... Uh, I think there's some really good work being done out there that's comparable to movies. And they do it really fast. And how about the, the craftspeople and artists? Do you think that there's a sort of um, easy flow back and forth? There used to be a real stigma about working in television, at least for actors, you know, if you're a feature actor or TV actor. But I think that I think that's, that's changed. all changing. Yeah, I don't think people think of it that way as much. Maybe because it has to do with the advent of high definition and... You know the fact that they're shooting 24p or whatever. I, I think that ha that does have an impact, a psychological impact. Um, 
And I think but, also the quality of what's on a lot of these cable TV stations, as, but even Bogdanovich says that you're making a little movie once. Yeah, you are. I mean, everything you do on, on, they do on HBO and now on Showtime and a couple of other cable channels. Uh, I've worked on some stuff on HBO that I thought was, you know, definitely feature quality, and they often release it in Europe. Yeah. The Raul Julia movie I did was released in Europe as a feature. You worked with him? He's great. He was great. Yeah. All right. So I think we're getting to the end of the show here. Um, this is the section, the dreaded film bite section. <laughs> little piece of advice to filmmakers out there um, that you, you might want to pass on to them. Do you want to start with film bite? Kamala, do you have one? Um, I think my film bite would be for musicians that are out there that are um, trying to break into Hollywood. Uh, one thing that is clear is that there are many ways to skin the cat and there are many doors to go through. And um, music editing, obviously, is is one of them. And I didn't even really know much about it. So it seems like it's an extremely viable way to stay in your field and really um, be around music, working with musicians, maybe composing, and still uh, making a living. Yeah, I want to add to that, just my film bite is that Hollywood is, I don't know if it's always been like this, but it's very malleable as far as what you you do in the industry. You can find your way once you get here. You can start on some job and then realize, oh, I want to do the job that the guy's doing over there, and you can start to work in that direction. So it's not like it's locked in stone what you decide to do if you work in film. I think I'll say something that's an extension of both those things, which is stay open-minded about what you're going to do. Um, I never would have thought of music editing as something that I was going to do. I didn't even know it existed, really, until I was in school. And, uh, yeah, and I, I still, I'm, you know, I get to listen to music for a living. I think it's a fantastic thing. Um, and there are other options. You're not locked in, just like you're not locked into either TV or film. You're not necessarily locked into being a music editor just because that's what you do. I've gotten composing work from doing the music editing. And, uh, and I'm sure it's worked the other way around as well. So. Great. Thank you so much Thank for you. joining yeah, us. Thanks for joining fun. us. And if you guys have any questions out there for us, just email us at joel at fatfreefilm.com. <laughs>